what is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. And today we wrap up our series on indifference. We're going to look at the power of God. We've talked about different sources of people becoming indifferent toward God. For some, they prayed with everything they had for God to change a circumstance in their life. But we worked through if maybe that's not actually how prayer works. Uh, Last week, we looked at the problem of evil. Where do these bad things come from? And too often, we put blame on God for things that are entirely in our control or, at the very least, in the power of the people around us. It's not God that's doing this to us. It's it's people. So today, in our last look at indifference, we're going to push hard on this idea. If God isn't granting miracles like wishes here and there and everywhere, if God isn't uh, uh, not manipulating the people around us to bring about his will, then what good is God? What power does God actually have? If God isn't going to make my dreams come true, then why bother serving God in the first place? They are compelling questions for sure, so let's take a trip together. Our scripture reading for today comes from the Epistle to the Romans. We read from a different part of this book last week, so the general circumstance is the same. This is the Apostle Paul writing a beautiful, compelling book about salvation amidst suffering. He invites us to consider what a life in connection with Jesus Christ will look like. Let's hear our scripture from Paul Semendinger, who recorded from his home. This is selected passages from Romans 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, 
so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And from Philippians 1.21, For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, may we be an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. As we consider your will and power, move our hearts. Amen. So the compelling question that follows us from last week is, if people are free to do as they please, then what power does God have? Now, it's important that we don't lose sight of the forest for the trees. There's a story of a man who was at the drive-thru, and he put in his order for his burger, fries, and drink. The meal cost $4.29, and the attendant over the speaker said that will be $4.83. Please drive up to the next window. But as soon as he heard $4.83, he thought, that's not right. They are charging me too much tax. There are a couple of cars in front of him, so he pulls out his cell phone and does the calculation. First, the subtraction, then the division, and it's clearly not right. That would be a 12% tax. And as high as taxes may be, they aren't that high, at least not yet. So when he gets to the window and the attendant says again, that will be 483, he says, I think you are overcharging for the taxes. Could I please talk to the manager? The manager comes over and he explains the situation, and the manager agrees the number is wrong. They work out what it's supposed to be, and so the driver pays. As he gets his change back, he thinks to himself, I've still got it. I knew it was wrong. My engineering degree is still paying off. I could just tell the percentage was not right, and I have thwarted the drive through worker from overcharging me. So what did this mathematical wizard do next? He took the 20 cents from the worker, proud of his staggering genius, and promptly drove off without his food. We don't want to be like that driver. It's too easy to do something similar when we ask big questions about God. Let's make sure we are keeping the main thing the main thing. Evil happens, and some of us see it happening at an alarming rate. So what power does God have to stop it? This question is actually one about the sovereignty of God. A sovereign is a king or queen who rules a kingdom. And when we say something like, God is in control, or God made it happen for a reason, we are actually making a really big claim. We are saying God rules his kingdom with complete supremacy, as if nothing happens without God forcing it to happen. My preference is to look at the scriptures and make sure the words we use to describe God's action in this world matches up with what we see there. So what do we see? Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of his day, and they are trying to trick Jesus with a question about who is married to who in heaven and uh, how, when people get remarried. It would be like asking Jesus today how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. What does that question even mean, and what possible good could come of answering it? And this is Jesus' response to their ridiculous question. You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be wrong. Jesus is telling us, know the scriptures. 
and you will know the power of God. So let's track closely with what the Bible actually says about this. In Genesis, as God created the whole world and everything in it, he turns to the human he has made and says, Adam, which means human, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's a pretty sweeping command. God is putting people in charge of the earth. So if God puts people in charge of the earth, guess what that means about God? God has purposefully given up control himself. He allows us to be free, to choose, to take the path that we desire so that we can exercise dominion or responsibility for what happens here on earth. God has handed it over to us. So some of you might be thinking, that makes God really weak. If God is not in control making things happen all over, then God is a wimp. God can't stop me from doing whatever I feel like doing. It feels like if God can't force me to do what he says or force his desires on the world, then he obviously isn't very strong. That makes me think of a boss who yells and screams at you. Have you ever had a boss do that to you? They may seem pretty powerful in the moment, don't they? You might end up doing what the person asks you to do, sure, but I bet you'd hate doing what they commanded you to do the whole time. And you're probably even thinking about quitting your job because of it. And what do businesses pay for through the nose time and time again? Training new employees because of the turnover they have. A screaming boss making everyone uncomfortable is actually costing the company money. It might look like strength in the moment, but it's actually weakness. If God were forcing us through awful, painful experiences because that was his plan, it would be just like that boss screaming at us to get a job done. Instead, God shows us his power more like a boss that gives us choices, encouraging us and empowering us. God gives us space to thrive and feel good about what we do. We want to work for God. We are committed to the mission and vision of the kingdom. And when it does become painful, we aren't mad about it. We're glad to give in order to see the world made right. I often think, what makes God more powerful? God forcing his way like an angry boss or empowering and encouraging us as God's will still gets accomplished? I would say I definitely think it's the second. God exhibits his power in not forcing our hands and instead allowing us to choose his kingdom and his righteousness. This might be easier for us to understand when we think about not a king over his country or a boss over his employees, but of a parent in their relationship with their children. Parents often want the very best for their children, but we as parents can't decide for our children how they should live their lives. They have to decide for themselves. There's a young man I know when I was a youth pastor, he was in the youth group. One day we were talking about going to college and Steve told us he was going to school to become a doctor. Now this was a little surprising to some of the youth, not because he couldn't do it, 
Steve is very smart and very capable, but he also had very noteworthy interests. One of his friends said, Steve, don't you have subscriptions to business magazines? And Steve said, well, yeah, I really like that, but my dad said I have to go to school to become a doctor. There was stunned silence. It was painfully obvious to the rest of us that Steve wanted to go to school for business, not to be a doctor. Fast forward a few years, and I actually had a chance to talk to Steve after college. I asked about his career and what had happened to going to college to become a doctor. He said he hated it. He was one year in, and he changed his major to business. When he graduated from school, he got a great job with a bank out in Chicago and was about to marry a lovely young lady. He was very happy he had chosen a path that fit with the things that he loved to do. See, God is not like Steve's dad. His father had a goal for his son that was not in tune with what Steve loved. God, on the other hand, knows exactly what we love. God is infinitely more in tune with who we are and what we need. God knows that whisper in us that says, something is not right, or this is the direction we need to go. God hears that, and God honors that. We know what it's like to be forced to do something against our will. We know what a life on those terms leads to. Fear, division, conflict, sin. But with God, with God we experience forgiveness, reconciliation, peace, hope, redemption, and love. This is what flows out of a choice we make to live life the way God would have us. When we trust God and commit to the principles of the kingdom of God, we come alive. We are changed and transformed for the good. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans 12. He says, be a living sacrifice. Make your lives line up with the teachings of Jesus and the values of the kingdom of God. It's not like when we decide to follow Jesus, everything in our life suddenly is perfect and right. No, we have to keep working at it to embody an ethic of God's love. Paul keeps going. He says, bless people, live in harmony, don't repay evil with evil, but do what is noble and we will overcome evil by doing good. That is the power of God. The world is moved toward good by doing more good things. Let me flesh this out a little more. There are specific things that are true about God that reflect God's power at work in this world. We only have time to really focus on one of them, but here are at least a few thoughts on the power of God. One is that God is always with us. This past week, another pastor had shared with a group of us about the different names of God, and the main name of God in the Hebrew is Yahweh. If we were Jewish, we would say Jehovah because it is too sacred to say the actual name of God. But people have speculated that the very name of God may actually be the written form of the sound of our breathing. We breathe in, Yah. We breathe out way. The point is, God is as close to us as our own breath. 
God literally dwells inside of us. And the scriptures declare, where shall I go from your spirit? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. Wherever we go, God is there. That is a powerful notion. We also know God's power by the life of Jesus. We usually focus on the miracles, and and maybe we can talk about that another day, but the most powerful part of all of Jesus' ministry on earth was actually his death. In dying, he set an example of how we might live. We don't live for ourselves. We live for others. We live for the good of the community as we listen carefully for what God desires and then work to make it happen. The example of Jesus changes the world around us and perhaps most profoundly, it changes us too. A young woman named Danielle decided to go to South Africa and do missions work. For a year, she was connected with a hospice center that cared for AIDS patients, many of them at the very end of their lives. She and a colleague had decided one day to take those who could travel out for some ice cream. They had very little money, but they could buy everyone a single scoop of ice cream. As the patients happily ate their ice cream, a man noticed what these two people were doing and said, what you are doing for these sick people is beautiful. I would like to buy them some chicken if that's okay. So this man, who did not seem to have very much money, paid for a dozen meals so that they might taste fried chicken along with ice cream one last time in their lives. That is the power of God at work. I think of Carol here at Grace and her soup ministry and Tom working with our congregational care team. Patricia is regularly organizing meals and food drives. Chris has volunteered with our Sunday school for years and years. She even came out of retirement to keep working with our Sunday school. And the Super Bowl food collection is because of her. There are people behind the scenes that are doing amazing work and they won't even tell anyone. They won't even let me tell you. I wish they would because they are a gift to this world and they remind us of the power of God exerted not through force but through the good works that, are, that you are doing. You are listening for God's Holy Spirit and responding to it, honoring the work that God is already doing in and around us. One last way we are certain of God's power, and that is through the establishment of the kingdom of God. We usually talk about the end times and maybe the rapture at the end of the earth as God forcefully imposes the destruction of all that is evil. But there's another way to think about this. Scripture doesn't just say evil is destroyed. It says that no purpose of God can be thwarted. God is building his kingdom here, but I wonder if even here, maybe it is not by force. Maybe God is overcoming evil by always walking with us, reminding us of the example of Jesus as we do God's work. Maybe we are inching closer to the kingdom of God when we raise money for cancer research or by by a kind act directed toward a neighbor. Maybe the kingdom comes when we reflect on what it would be like to walk in another person's shoes, particularly those who are marginalized by society. How would you want the world to treat you if you were blind, 
or had a mental health condition, or were constantly being judged based on the color of your skin. God is bringing an end to evil as we choose to do good. Adam Hamilton says it this way, God forces evil and suffering to serve God. God brings good from evil. God takes our sorrow, suffering, and sin and bends it, redeems it, and sanctifies us through it. This is the power of God that things meant to destroy somehow rebuild. Things meant to make us suffer somehow soothe. Things meant to kill can somehow bring life. God doesn't will evil. He doesn't make bad things happen to us. Instead, God is drawing all of us more and more to the world as it was meant to be. Amen? Amen. Grace is for everyone. Find out more at gumc.org.